I'm sure most of you have held a snow globe at some point in your life. Maybe even been mesmerized by one when you were younger. And it really can be fascinating to turn this little world upside down and then just watch those flakes dance and swirl all around whatever's inside. And so it's not even wrong to have a nativity snow globe like this. Because I was surprised when Amazon brought this to my door and I was going to toss it after this weekend. My sweet wife, when we unpacked it, said, oh, I want to keep that and use it in the years ahead. So this is now a future family Bigney heirloom. If I'd known that, I would have spent more money. This is plastic and it says made in China. But this is going to be passed down now from generation to generation. Little chubby Bigney hands are going to hold this. And sparkly Bigney grandchildren eyes, one day I hope soon, are going to ooh and awe over this until someone breaks it, which shouldn't take long. And you saw it first here on a worship service Sunday. But I do have a concern. Because I think a lot of people today now look at Christmas like they're looking at a snow globe. That captures something mythical or magical like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. And there's nothing wrong with it. They're not against it. Go ahead and enjoy it. But when you're done, set it aside. And you should Because we all know it's not true. It doesn't intersect with real life, but simply serves as a brief diversion from it. And we all need that. So everyone in our culture still is pretty much okay with let's have this diversion from real life the month of December because we need it. But then get back to real life. Oh, listen to me. You cannot capture the glory and wonder and truth of Christmas in a snow globe. And then simply box it up and put it away until the next year. Because Christmas is more than a magical diversion or a mythical story. Christmas is the historical record of a real God who took on flesh and stepped into our real world to solve a problem for us that we could never solve ourselves. And so I want to move you away from the sentimentality of a snow globe and back to the reality of a God who took on flesh to solve a problem that every human being faces. Our sin problem. That separates us from a holy God. And so that's why Galatians chapter 4 is just one of the many places where the Bible shatters this snow globe mentality. And brings us back to the reality of a God who took on flesh. And changed the entire course of history and our future destinies. When he arrived in a real city called Bethlehem. I want you to listen to what Galatians chapter 4 tells us. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law 
that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, when God sent his son into this world, I hope you realize his timing was perfect. This was not random. That's what the verse is talking about when it says, but when the fullness of time had come. In other words, when history was pregnant, history was pregnant with everything that God wanted to be in place at just the right time. To send forth his son. Because for centuries, God had been preparing this world for the arrival, the death, and the resurrection of his son. So that when it took place, it would spread like wildfire through the world. You see, God had been using the Greeks. Do you realize that? God's the God of history. He's been in control As long as there's been this world, God had been using the Greeks to get this world ready for his son. He was using Alexander the Great. You realize that? Alexander thought he was just spreading the fame of his own name and his own Greek culture. But God said, you go, Alexander, go. Yes. Because I want there to be a universal trade language in place. So that when my son arrives... And he does what only he can do. This message will be understood by everyone who hears it. You see, the Greek language had become the universal trade language. Everybody knew a little Greek. And I'm not talking about the man who runs that restaurant downtown. People read Greek, they wrote Greek, and they did all business transactions in Greek, And so that is why the New Testament portion of our Bibles is written in Koine Greek, which, by the way, was a trade language. It was the language of the streets and marketplace. There was a different Greek language that was for the intellectuals and the academic elite. God didn't use that. God used the language of the streets and the marketplace because he wanted to put it on the bottom shelf where everyone could get a hold of this good news. What else was God doing? Well, he wasn't just using the Greeks. God had been using the Romans. In 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks. And God said, great, because I've got work for you to do also. I want there to be a universal peace that is in place. So that this good news of the gospel and what my son has done for real people in a real world doesn't get all hung up in wars and border skirmishes, but can spread unhindered from country to country to country to country. And that's exactly what happened during the Roman Empire. It's a time historians call the Pax Romana or the Roman Peace where there was no need for passports to go from country to country. And there was no fear of going into enemy territory because there was one united kingdom and one universal peace. But what else did the Romans do? If you know anything about history, what are the Romans known for? Roads. Who has not heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Why? Because the Roman Empire went on a road-building blitz to connect every city back to Rome. 
You got to realize in that day, streets were dirt. They turned into a mud fest. People were not able to get where they needed to go. And the Romans didn't just build roads. They built good ones that we would love for people to understand today. Because you can walk on them. I've been to Rome and walked on roads that the Apostle Paul walked on. So there is a way to make them last. And they connected. They connected all cities back to Rome. You've got a trade language and everyone understands it. You've got a peace so there's no passports and fear of wars. And you've got roads to get where you need to go. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son. The timing was perfect. This was not random, you guys. Oh, but there's more. The purpose of God sending his son was absolutely clear. Hollywood gets it so wrong. They love to depict Jesus Christ when they have any movies about him as this semi-delusional, deranged, sort of on drugs guy, this wandering Palestine sorting out his issues and wondering who he is. That is so not true. Jesus knew exactly who he was and why he had come. That's why the verse says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That one verse captures the very heart and soul of the gospel and Christmas. So let me break it down for you a little bit, phrase by phrase, because it's good. Born of a woman. Born of a woman. That's talking about the amazing mystery of the incarnation. That God took on flesh and was born into this world through a woman, just like every other human being. The incarnation. Born under the law. That's talking about the fact that Jesus, when he was born into this world, faced the crushing demands of God's law, just like every other human being. But unlike every other human being, he kept God's law perfectly for us. So that there is now no longer any condemnation to those who put their trust in him. You realize the law is not good news, you guys. The law brings condemnation. The law brings a threat. The law shows you that you're a sinner. The law brings judgment. And every human being felt it because God's word says his law. They can take it out of the schools. His law is written on our hearts. So that our consciences either excuse us or accuse us. Excuse us or accuse us. We know there's a right. We know there's a wrong. We know there's justice. We know there's morality. And we know to some degree we fall short. Born under the law. The first person who ever kept God's law perfectly. For us. Born of a woman. The incarnation, born under the law, no more condemnation to redeem those who were under the law. That's talking about the fact that Jesus, by his death on the cross, paid the ultimate, final, all sufficient, never needs to be done again payment 
for our sins so that there is now a cancellation of the sin debt that was against us. That word redeemed means to be to be bought back. It was a marketplace term from so, for someone who was in bondage or in slavery. We are born slaves to sin in bondage to our own desires and lust and sin to redeem those who were under the law. His purpose was not just to teach. It was not to feed the hungry. It was not to start a revolution and throw out the Romans. His purpose was something far greater and a problem that was far worse than any of that. Our sin problem. Our sin problem. He was born to die for us in payment for our sins and to take the punishment that we should have taken. That's why earlier in the same book of Galatians, in chapter 3, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I appreciate it when I try to talk about spiritual things with people, how quickly people will say, well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Great. But do you? Can you perfectly? No. And so the law brings a curse. It's a curse. It's a curse. And he has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed for us when he went to the cross and experienced the wrath and punishment of God against him instead of you for your sin. Because he had no sin of his own. By his death, he purchased for us this gift of eternal life that can be yours today. So let me ask you this. How does this gift, this free gift of eternal life become yours? And why do some have it and others don't? Because it's not that complicated, right? Even a child can understand the good news of the gospel. Why do some have it and others do not? Well, here's what I want you to realize. Yes, this gift is free. But you have to swallow your pride to receive it. Think about it. When we're children, we love getting gifts. But as you begin to grow up, isn't it kind of hard sometimes to be on the receiving end? We would rather be the giver, not the receiver, not the receiver. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. And some gifts are harder to receive than others because the very acceptance of the gift acknowledges something about you that you might not want to believe and you feel weak and you feel in need, and we don't like a position of weakness or need. We want to be okay, self-sufficient, good enough, accepted. Some gifts are harder to receive than others because when you receive it and even say thank you, you're acknowledging something about yourself that you might not want to believe and might even be working hard to cover up. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Imagine tearing into the the shiny red paper of a little envelope and finding tucked down inside of it a free gift certificate for golf lessons with a former PGA pro. Okay, now stay with me. Because what you feel next 
in the face of that free gift says something about your opinion of yourself and what you think about your own abilities. If you are offended in that moment, you're probably thinking, I'm good enough and don't need this. If you're confused thinking, what are you doing? You might be thinking, ability's not the problem. I got tons of ability. It's better equipment I need. You should have bought me a new driver or a set of irons, but not golf lessons. Oh, but it gets worse. Imagine then being handed a big shiny box and you tear the ribbon off and you tear the paper off and and you find down inside that box the latest, greatest diet book and a giant bottle, not little, not travel size, giant bottle of mouthwash. And here's an awkward Christmas morning moment, right? To say thank you and to receive it is to acknowledge something about yourself that you might not want to believe. Listen to me. This is what we wrestle with spiritually. This is why you say, but it's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Folks, this free gift of eternal life and the gospel says something about people that they do not want to believe. And so we struggle. We struggle spiritually. We struggle to accept the fact that we need a Savior because it says something about us that we just don't want to accept that we are sinners who fall short of God's holy standard and could never be good enough. Listen to me. As long as you cling to your own self-assessment of being good enough, you will never receive this free gift of eternal life that Jesus purchased for you when he died and rose again. Because to do so requires a humble, grateful heart that sees your own need and agrees with what God says about you. So the bottom line is, it's our pride. It's our pride and refusal to see ourselves as bad as God says we are that keeps so many people from accepting this free gift. And this is not a new problem. Not a new problem. As long as there's been people, this has been the main problem. That's why John chapter 1 tells us, He came to His own. And his own did not receive him. Why? We're religious. We're the nation of Israel. We have the promises. We have the commandments. We do sacrifices. We, 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 we. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him. And there were many. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you realize you're not born a child of God? You're born a human being created in the image of God and therefore you have dignity. But you become a child of God by adoption when you put your trust in Jesus. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his 
name. You have to believe in his name. And in those days, a name represented character, the character of someone, who they are. So that is not just saying, oh, I believe there's a person called Jesus that walked through Palestine, did some stuff, not sure who he was. Then you don't believe. To believe in someone's name was to agree and believe that they are who they say they are. And they did what they claimed to do. Jesus claimed to be the God man who did for you what you could never do for yourself. You have to believe in his name and you have to receive the free gift. What about you? Do you believe in the name of Jesus? I'm not saying do you believe he existed like you believe George Washington and Abraham Lincoln existed. Do you believe in his name, his claims, his authority, the record of who he is and what he did? Do you believe Jesus is the Savior who died for you and that you need a Savior? And are you willing to receive this free gift, which means you have to recognize, I desperately need it. I need a Savior. He did for me what I could never do for myself. Do you believe? And are you willing to receive? As we close, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to think some more about this. Oh, a lot of gifts are going to be exchanged this next week. But right now I'm asking you to think about the greatest gift of all. The free gift of forgiveness. Everything you've ever done. Whatever it is that troubles you about your past. Whatever it is that is troubling you right now in the present. Whatever your fears are about the future. Forgiveness. And peace with God. That's the gift that's being offered today by God's Spirit. Oh, you may think you need peace with your spouse, peace with a coworker, peace with a supervisor. Pe- oh, listen to me. Your greatest need is for peace with God. That's what's got you churning. Until you have peace with the God of the universe through His Son, you will never have peace on a horizontal level with others or peace in your heart. Forgiveness and peace can be yours by putting your faith in Jesus. Oh, don't leave this gift under the tree. And don't unwrap it and reject it because you're offended and think you don't need it. Put your trust in Jesus. If you'd like to receive this free gift, I invite you to pray this simple prayer. You don't even have to pray out loud. God sees your heart right now. If you want to receive this free gift, say, dear God, I confess that I am a sinner. You see my innermost thoughts, my ugliest parts, and yet you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did for me what no one else could do to pay the price for my sin. Right now, I surrender control of my life to Jesus. And I submit to him as my savior Lord and King. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.